Blog Talk Radio. Hatchery is a third-generation, family-owned and operated hatchery. 
They offer over 193 varieties of poultry shipped directly from their facility in Missouri. It's their mission to enhance your life by providing you with quality poultry for showing, meat, enjoyment, eggs, and pets. They specialize in hatching purebred poultry and shipping day-old chicks right to your local post office since 1936. 4-H and FFA Youth Poultry Clubs get a 10% discount. Check out their website, CackleHatchery.com, for posted weekly specials and discounts. That's CackleHatchery.com. Pictures of chickens on aprons are common across America, but picture a chicken wearing an apron and you'll probably get a good chuckle. Laugh if you must, but nothing protects hens better than the Hen Saver Hen Apron. Hen Saver Hen Aprons protect your hens from the damage caused by an overly affectionate rooster and may even provide protection from an unexpected hawk attack. Hen savers come in several different sizes to fit both bantam and standard sized hens and roosters. Colors include camo, denim, navy, brown, khaki or black, and soon pink. Crazy K Farm is expanding its already colorful hen saver collection to include the color pink. A portion of their sales will be donated to organizations that fund breast cancer research and awareness. Order your Hensaver aprons today at hensaver.com. That's hensaver.com. Hi, I'm country music artist Nathan Osmond, and you're listening to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. And the mighty bird against prejudice continues his fight for law and order. So when you hear that cry in the sky, you'll know it's Super Chicken. All righty, thank you very much for staying with us today on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. I want to send a shout-out to the thousands of listeners we have. Thank you very much for uh, continuing your support for this radio show uh, Next year, I guess once we hit 2015, we'll be approaching our seventh year of broadcasting. How cool is that? We're approaching 1,000 episodes. To give you an idea, uh, the popular TV show Friends only had about 175, excuse me, 275 episodes. And and, um, uh, Seinfeld, same thing, about 280, 290 episodes. That was it. Here we are approaching 1,000. Thank you very much for tuning in. Send a shout-out to all of our listeners, the homeschoolers out there that incorporate this show into their everyday learning and curriculum. Thank you very much. The over-the-road truck drivers we hear from, you listen to the podcast 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Thank you very much for doing so. Uh, Keep that freight on the road. Get it delivered uh, safe and sound. Thank you very much. Of course, all the feed and seeds that stream this radio show live for their listeners every day. Thank you very much. Hope business is going very well for you. And uh, we're coming into the winter season, but guess what? The spring chick season will be here before we know it. How cool is is uh, how cool is that? And of course, all of our archive listeners that listen to the show on iTunes.com, Podcast.com, Zoom.com, and all the others that carry the show. Thank you very much. Hope you had a great weekend, everybody. We sure did. We've had a, a good spell of beautiful weather. 
ever since we went down to the uh, um, Sunbelt Expo. I guess it was last week, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. That was great. I uh, found out that I had uh, uh, the, the most people show up for uh, my uh, seminars. It made me feel real good. They've invited me back next year. That's always a good thing. So looking forward to going to the Expo next year. It's always uh, it's always cool to uh, uh, to go and see what's going on in the world of farming and uh, production, so that's very cool. Uh, also, they have a whole area uh, due to small backyard gardens, farms, and things like that. So that's where I was speaking. And uh, a lot of sponsors there uh, dealing their product for the small hobby farmer. So that was always good to, to see as well. So uh, we'll be there again, hopefully, uh, next year. So uh, we've got a great show lined up for you today. We've got Peter Brown, also known as the Chicken Doctor, founder of First State VetSupply.com. We uh, sent a shout-out on Facebook yesterday for people to post their questions. We have more, of course, than what we want to answer during this show. So we're going to go ahead and get started. Let me go ahead and bring Peter on right now. Let's give him a big chicken whisperer welcome. Hey, Peter, thanks for joining us today. Hey, Andy, how are you? I'm doing good. Always a pleasure to have you on. Let me uh, get over here and open up the uh, Facebook page where uh, we've got all these questions posted. We've got far more than we'll ever be able to cover. Uh, I told folks that I'd kind of review them and post the ones that may be most relevant and uh, for the show and uh, the majority of our listeners. And I said I would like the, uh, the question today if we actually got to that. So... Uh, uh, got a little bit. How's everything going with you, Peter? Had we talked, you were on last week, and uh, of course uh, we'll be having another couple of shows before we break for Thanksgiving, and another couple before we break for Christmas. But how's everything going in your life? Uh, hectic as usual. <laughs> like a one-on paper hanger. <laughs> it's a uh, it's a going. It's uh, it's always an adventure every day. So. Uh, uh, my dad often says, "Well, I woke up and I sit. I, I woke up and I didn't see dirt. So I guess that's a good thing." Yeah, so, I, uh, you know, from a from a health standpoint, I'm, I'm you know doing very well. Uh, I don't think it can really do any better than what I'm presently doing, and um, have uh, been doing so now. It's hard to believe, but this February will be three years since the fatal three, event. Yeah. And uh, yep, absolutely. You know, a lot has changed. You know, in in my life, the biggest thing for me is is to uh, continue working to de-stress my life, which is pretty tough some days. And because uh, that, you know, you can do all the other things uh, well, eating and exercise and everything else, but the stress level sometimes can be overwhelming. Um, you know, trying to get things done and and uh, uh, all of the different things. So I've cut back a lot on Facebook, like I told you know told you in previous shows I was getting away from being uh, in the middle of everything when I don't need to be and um, now I'm you know more so if somebody uh, is is really seeking out a a real good answer to something that I have the knowledge for I may put forth that knowledge but um, uh, not always and um, you know I've never asked to join any of the sites ever and I don't intend to Every one of them that I am associated with in any way, um, you know, has um, automatically just added me to their their uh, their, their st- sites. And um, while that's a nice thing to do, sometimes it becomes overwhelming. Um, 
a lot of things now I just don't pay any attention to. I, I, I'll read it and look at it and, and move on. Um, just too many people that, that know way too much uh, for me. And um, I don't, I don't have the time. You know, you know, you know me real well. I've never been a person that I know everything. Nobody knows everything. Um, you know, but I strive to know what I know really well. And uh, you know, expanding my horizons every day. Um, you know, looking at, at different things. We're gonna, we're gonna have some shows coming up. You know, several years ago, I told you, Andy, that I was, you know, looking at different things, and and we've, we've, you know, done some of those things on the show. Uh, uh, as far as um, you know, different issues, uh, whether it be the anatomy or the physiology of the bird, the embryology, and whatever. But we're going to continue down that road, um, and I'm, I'm working on a few things that I just need to get straight in my brain. And once I get them all straight in my brain, then we'll pass that information on to people. But it's really interesting stuff. Uh, some of it, believe it or not, will eventually down the road have to do with genetics. I'm not a geneticist, but there are some... Uh, interesting information, you know, that that's coming along, um, you know, that might be helpful to people or uh, neat things to know um, and that kind of thing. So, uh, you know, the, the chicken, for the most part, you know, is a, is a model that we use to study human development. We use it to study human diseases. Um, we use it uh, for a number of different things on the human side. So, uh, I always refer to it as that little machine that you have in your backyard is a lot more than just an egg layer um, or a meat bird. Um, it uh, holds a lot of the keys to some of the things that uh, uh, that are problems in, in the human sector as well. So uh, um, on another note, real quick, I don't want to belabor the point, but I thought it was ironic today that I was down at the hospital working out in the gym and stuff, and I was uh, watching this Ebola nonsense turned uh, on the, the TV that they've got set up in there and stuff. And not that it's nonsense, it's a very serious thing, no doubt. But I thought, you know, it's kind of interesting. We have somebody that, you know, a healthcare worker, and I'm sure every healthcare worker is going to cry out about it. And, but, you know, you, you've been over there. We don't know for sure if you've been exposed. You don't know if yourself if you're exposed. Um, so the states of New York and New Jersey decide that they're going to quarantine people coming back from there for, for 21 days, which personally myself I think is the prudent thing to do because we've already shown that self-isolation uh, uh, isn't necessarily working. And, um, um, you know, maybe the conditions under which this uh, latest individual was held might not have been the greatest. A little bit more forethought on, on the part of the officials might have uh, uh, have helped in that situation. But... If you are showing chickens anywhere in this country, anywhere, you can't show unless those birds are palerm tested. How ironic is that? <laughs> yep. If you show chickens in the states or you want to show chickens in the states of Maryland, Delaware, Pennsylvania, and Virginia, you not only have to have them palerm tested, you have to have them tested for avian influenza. So I think it's kind of ironic that we'll let people come with a deadly, possibly a deadly virus that can spread from what we've seen so far uh, fairly easily to a lot of people quickly. And yet we're, we don't have the guts to stand by our convictions, the moron uh, Andrew Cuomo uh, 
uh, from the state of New York has already capitulated on the thing. Now she can go home and everything else. Um, I just think it's crazy. And here we go with, with chickens taking it on the chin. Well, I think if her civil rights were violated, I think every chicken that, that, that goes to a chicken show or at least is going to a show in Pennsylvania, Virginia, Maryland, and Delaware has had their vi- rights violated. Personal opinion. I think it's crazy. I just think it's crazy. So, anyway, yeah, that's my two point cents. about the chickens. If you're going to show chickens anywhere, yeah, absolutely. That's, that's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah, you know, and and again, I questioned uh, several years ago the uh, veterinarian in charge of the lab down here. You know, I said, you know, we've never had the problem here in this particular group of people, the show crowd. So I said, you know, why now, all of a sudden, out of the blue, we had a change of state veterinarians, uh, who is a large animal vet, by the way, um, so knows nothing about chickens, so therefore, you know, they have their head in the sand. But it's done to appease the commercial poultry industry, no doubt. But at any rate, the um, uh, I was told it was because the show crowd has the potential to infect all of the commercial birds that are here. So why wouldn't a person coming back who has been treating Ebola patients and been in that area, why wouldn't they be quarantined as well? That doesn't make any sense to me. You know, and you know, look at all the money that gets spent. Then uh, we, we talk about health care costs. I wonder who's footing the bill for all this stuff everywhere these people have been. Um, you know, this last doctor in New York City, somebody had to track down where he's been, go see all these people. Uh, that takes time, takes money, and those people usually are not the uh, lower echelon people being done. They're epidemiologists who, who uh, you know, look to see where you've been, who you've been with, and, and who you made contact with. And, and the longer the, the, the list of those people is, the, uh, the more time-consuming it takes and the more money. So uh, quite an interesting thing. Uh, just uh, kind of irritated me this morning when I thought about that. At any rate, yep. I guess yep. we need to get to, to what we need to get to here today, I imagine. So, No worries. I've got uh, uh, several questions here. We're going to start off with one. Uh, okay. And a lot of this, like I said, we've been doing the show, oh, this will be our seventh year of broadcasting. So we understand some of these will be repeat. We've covered them before. Uh, one might we might even have covered last week. So mm-hmm. um, no worries there. But I'm just going to go down here and probably or try to pick out the ones that uh, maybe we hadn't heard before. Some we have, of course. I'll try to start at the top and go through the uh, bottom. It's always good to go back over things. You know, yep, practice absolutely. makes perfect. So. Wendy wants to know uh, if you recommend using diatomaceous earth for chickens and how much, and what's the best way to get rid of scaly leg mites? Oh, Lord, we've been down this road for sure, yeah. Well, um, diatomaceous earth, I I, I get, you know, where people are coming from with the diatomaceous earth, but I'm getting feedback from from people. um, uh, There's there's two sides to the the coin here. Um, uh, You can use something, okay, and never have a problem, and therefore the assumption is that it worked because you never had a problem. But on the flip side of that coin, if you've never had exposure, you wouldn't have a problem. So if you're using diatomaceous earth uh, as a wormer or as uh, an insecticide on the external part of the bird and you've really never had any problem, it doesn't really mean uh, that it worked. 
So we're seeing, you know, those that have used it and it didn't work, uh, those that have used it and it semi-worked, and those that have used it and claim it's the best thing since sliced bread. Personally, myself, I don't care to get in the whole middle of, of what that's all about, but um, if you're showing birds, uh, number one, using it as a uh, external uh, parasite uh, prevention uh, or control measure is probably not a good idea because it does cause a, a severe cutting and dulling of the feathers. So if I were doing showbirds, I certainly wouldn't uh, be interested in doing that. If I were interested in uh, keeping chemicals uh, away from, from my birds, I don't think I'd rely strictly on uh, the diatomaceous earth. Um, it has to stay in the feather. It's not. They have to be in it almost all the time. Uh, just just like uh, the chemical dusts, uh, I don't sell them, never have, because I never believed in them. Uh, the toxicity of them uh, always flying around in the coop when you're in there uh, after you've left it all over the place. Um, and that stuff has to stay on the bird. So what does the bird do after it takes a, a dust bath in anything? It, it gets up, flaps its wings, shakes itself vigorously all over the place, usually more than once, to get off whatever it was that it just took a bath in. So there isn't any great degree, in my opinion, of, of residual activity of, of the diatomaceous earth. Didn't say it wouldn't work. Didn't say it wasn't okay to use. But if I were going to choose that route, I think I would also choose uh, to use uh, something else with that along uh, the lines of the poultry protector. Uh, basically an all-natural product. It's an enzyme. Uh, no toxicity at all. Uh, you could even... And I've checked this out with the owner, uh, uh, Patrick, and um, you could mix it up and give him a bath in it if you felt you needed to. And the nice thing about this product is you can use it every day. So uh, as a one-two approach, uh, I, I would consider you know, doing those. Uh, the diatomaceous earth, certainly no more than uh, approximately 2% of, uh, of the diatomaceous earth making up their composition of their total feed for the day. A uh, little bit difficult to uh, figure that out. Uh, I would say to you, if you were putting some feed out in a in a trough-type feeder, uh, just enough to cover the top of it uh, so that you could barely see the feed should be sufficient. Again, the problem with diatomaceous earth, um, once you use that, that, that wormer, um, if you're not using it on a, on a regular basis, it's not going to do uh, very much good and going to... Uh, uh, be basically uh, ineffective against the uh, tapeworm, which uh, is going to bury its scolex in the in the uh, intestinal lining, and the diatomaceous earth is basically going to uh, cut off most of the worm, but leave the scolex intact, and it'll just regrow. So, uh, again, I, I seriously believe in being a poop inspector. It's worked for us here for many years, uh, and myself uh, when I did have birds uh, years back. Uh, of my own, uh, worked very well to uh, to um, find out if I had worms uh, of, of any kind, and uh, so you know I would certainly you know look at at those two uh, things as far as the uh, the worming or the insecticidal uh, part of it is concerned. What was the other part of that question, Andy? I'm still talking. I put myself on mute. Um, uh, how to the best way to get rid of scaly leg mites? Okay, well, 
my take on a scaly leg mite is is this: um, they are burrowing under the skin uh, of, of the bird, uh, basically eating the flesh of the bird. Very uncomfortable, uh, as would be. Look at this as as like being chiggers in humans. If anybody's ever had chiggers, they know how they itch and and you scratch till you pr- practically bleed, uh, and, and so on until you find a remedy to get to get rid of them. Um, I can't for the life of me seeing using uh, turpentine or um, uh, used motor oil, which is full of toxic substances, uh, heavy metals, and so on. Um, the quickest and easiest uh, way to get rid of it, uh, in my my opinion, is to uh, take 10% permethrin, uh, mix it up according to the label directions, stand the bird in it right up to its thighs. Uh, if it's a feather-like bird, with some gloves on, you should always wear gloves doing the stuff anyway, and uh, you know work the feathers uh, against the grain uh, to make sure that the liquid gets right down to the uh, the uh, skin. The permethrin will absorb into the skin and basically kill the uh, uh, the scaly leg mite uh, that way uh, rather quickly. And as a precautionary thing, you don't always have to do this, and I would leave them standing in it for about 30 seconds. Uh, don't need to be much more than that, maybe 45 seconds tops. And um, I would do everybody, and then I would take the remaining product, filter it through a stocking or a filter of some sort, a paint filter would be good, uh, to get any feathers uh, and uh, manure and what have you. And then I'd put it in a pump-up garden sprayer, and then I would go spray the uh, roost where the birds roost because that's where they're going to be hanging out. So you're going to get double bang for your buck with the product. You're not going to be able to waste any. Uh, you're going to get a quick, effective uh uh, knockdown of the uh, scaly leg mite uh, as it, the uh, permethrin absorbs into the skin, and you're going to come back in 10 days if you so choose and do it again just to make sure that everybody's gone for good. Um, scales that are severely raised may or may not go back to their original position. Uh, any lanolin-based uh, uh, product uh, such as utter cream, uh, bag bomb, or anything like that massaged into the the scales of the leg uh, should make it uh, better, but that—that's my choice uh, for using it in, in that fashion. Great. Yeah, we've heard that before uh, regarding that, and uh, you kind of stick to your guns a little bit about that. For, for you know, hasn't you haven't swayed off of the, your uh, suggestion for that in uh, many years? So, uh, well, the object of it is to get it done quickly. You know, that—that's mm-hmm. the thing. I mean, could you use the motor oil? Sure, you could. Uh, but it, 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 as soon as it runs off, not only that, it's messy. Um, you know, uh, you know, I've heard of people using, you know, diesel fuel, um, you know, the, and motor oil. The, the, they stink to high heaven. Uh, the, the motor oil certainly is toxic and, and, and uh, messy, uh, and probably not going to do it the first time around because what you're re- relying on is the motor oil being thick enough to cut off the air supply to, to, to kill them, and it doesn't always work. Same thing with Vaseline. As, as the uh, temperature of the bird's body being around 105 or so, um, the Vaseline is going to start to melt. And so it runs down the leg, and all you get is a mess. So you're much better off to use something quick, get rid of it, and be done with it. It's a one-time use of the chemical deal, maybe a two-time uh, use, uh, and you still have to do something for the roof so you can you know, double up on the product and, and use it that way. It just makes you know, much more sense. Um, you know, you could use ivermectin, but it's going to take longer. Uh, the cost of it's uh, not not cheap either. Um, and you're going to have to go around, uh, you know, and administer it to each bird as well. So, um, I still like the other one. It works real well, and you get a real good kill right quick right off the bat. It works very well. 
Very good. Mary St. Paul Burns has a question. I have a buff Orpington that always shakes her head. My other girls don't do it. I do recall reading somewhere about worms, but can't find that information now. Any ideas? It's all I got. No other symptoms, not nothing. Just a buff Orpington okay. that shakes her head a lot. Well, I've seen this before, um, and uh, putting your finger exactly on and curing the problem uh, can be difficult. So um, one of the ways to, to try to find out um, as best that you can um, what's going on is to, first off, open the bird's mouth and look for anything in the mouth that doesn't belong there, such as growths of any kind. And uh, canker comes to mind. Uh, they can show up as yellow to yellow-orange buttons that are attached to the skin, uh, the, or what we call the mucosal lining of the of the of the mouth, uh, can be over the glottis, which is where the bird breathes. That's located behind the tongue and the floor of the mouth. Uh, it can be way down the back of the uh, esophagus, which is a big, giant, dark hole way, way in the back of the mouth, uh, or anywhere up in the nasal cleft. It can be growing in the na- in the nasal uh, cavities and come out through the eye. Um, so you can look for anything in there. Look for any clogs uh, uh, or any cheesy material that may be in the nasal cleft, which is the split in the top of the mouth. Uh, so you're going to, you know, just real slow with a, a small maglite-type flashlight works well. And uh, take a good look-see around in there. Look way down the back of the bird's throat, all along the edges of the beak, under the tongue, on top of the tongue, because it can grow anywhere. It doesn't matter. Okay, and after you've examined all that and you've determined by looking at this bird, and you can also uh, examine another bird that's not doing this. That way you can look at the two and you can decide for yourself what's what's normal because if, when you look at a normal bird, you hopefully will be able to pick up what may be abnormal in the other one in the mouth if there is anything. Um, but you want to look at the nostrils, make sure there's nothing clogging them up or anything like that. Um, make sure there's no feathering anywhere that's bothering the eye or anything like like that. And then the other thing is to look in the ears. A little bit more difficult because it's a very narrow passage, uh, often covered by tufts of feathers, and you'll probably need somebody's help to uh, to take a look-see uh, in that and uh, open that ear canal up again with that focus beam maglite flashlight, uh, take a look-see in there and see if there's anything growing in there. And again, this will look like a yellow uh, mass uh, and if it is in there and you take a tweezer and you pull it out, it's usually core-shaped like the shape of the ear canal. So it will be bigger at the opening and, and thinner as it goes down. And will, you'll know what it is because it stinks like crazy. I mean, it just will make you puke. And uh, you, you know, examine both ears very carefully and see what you can see. And after you've done this, uh, the next thing I would do is uh, close the bird's mouth and put uh, one finger over each nostril for about 15, 20, 30 seconds tops and see if they bubble with a foamy, small uh, group of bubbles uh, in the very corner of the eye close to the beak. Uh, this would indicate the possibility, that's not 100% accurate, probably about 80, 85% accurate, that there would be some sort of upper respiratory issue uh, going on with this particular bird since it seems to be only one bird, whatever it is, uh, isn't spreading, that's a good thing. So that kind of rules out uh, most viral things, okay? But it doesn't rule out the possibility of some sort of a low-grade bacterial infection, uh, which could be a possibility. Uh, I wouldn't medicate the bird unless I felt it was necessary. 
Um, if the bird's eating, drinking, putting on weight, uh, it may be uh, also, and I've seen this in the past too, where uh, a bird had a deformed airway that caused it to do these things. So barring finding anything in the ears, the nostril, the nasal cleft in the mouth, down the back of the throat, the esophagus, over the glottis at the bottom of the mouth, behind the tongue, or anywhere else in the uh, mouth, uh, the eyes are clear. There's nothing uh, in the uh, in the eyes at all. Uh, I'm not sure I'd worry about it too much. Um, you know, there's always the possibility of trying to give an antibiotic, but I'm I'm not a big fan of of doing that unless it's absolutely necessary. But that's that's where I would start. Um, and uh, if you can't find anything, I think I'd just leave it alone. Alrighty, let me go down here and get to the next question here. There was one question that talked about um, uh, sauerkraut and packed crop. We just covered that last week, so I will let them know uh, that they need to go and listen to the show um, seven days ago, and they'll get all the information that I'll ever want about sauerkraut and, and packed crop. But we covered that in detail uh, seven days ago, last Monday, so no worries there. This is a very interesting one I have here. Uh, and there may not be anything uh, to change. But uh, Annette wants to know what's the best regimen for feeding birds when the temps, temperatures swing a lot. And, of course, we're dealing with that right now. You can hear my stuffy nose. It's absolutely crazy. Who knows what what, what the leaves are falling here and things. But um, literally uh, during the day it may get warm enough, uh, especially as the sun sets on one side of the house, for us to even turn on the air conditioning. Uh, and, then at, and then at night, we go to bed, we're having to turn on the heat, because when we wake up, it's going to be so cool, we have to take the edge off. So it's like in one day, we're using both heat and air. The temperature you know, happens every fall, and the temperature is, temperature is fluctuating so much. And uh, she's not uh, says anything about any changes in her birds. She's just wanting to know if there's anything we should do or if there's a better regimen for feed during these temperatures. Well, I'm not, I'm not a nutritionist at all. But uh, common sense tells me that uh, you, you, I, would, <clears throat> I wouldn't change anything uh, that I was doing, um, certainly depending on, on the uh, over, overnight temperatures. But uh, as far as the overall feeding is concerned during the day, but what I would entertain is the thought of um, uh, maybe not putting out as much feed so that uh, later in the day you can... Uh, Put out all the food that they'll they'll eat prior to uh, going to roost. This way, it ensures that overnight the crop is full. They'll be processing their food, and when they process food, they give off uh, off heat, and uh, that can be a significant uh, amount of heat uh, to help keep them a little bit warmer. Uh, you know, during the cool off during the evening uh, hours. You know, just like right now in the office here, it's 67 degrees inside here. And I prefer to keep it, you know, a little bit on the cool side. Uh, but there are times if you're just sitting around absolutely doing nothing, that 67 degrees can be a little bit cold. And uh, so, you know, when uh, I think that's the adjustment that I would make uh, at this point. Um, I don't think any further adjustment, you know, unless you, you know, your days are, uh, you know, once they start to settle in, and you're in an area where the days are, you know, pretty much. Uh, um, a lot cooler than they normally would be in, uh, during this this time of the year, as we get you know we're almost to the end of October here. 
so you know you're going to start getting into these days now where you know the daytime temps are going to be 50 55 degrees depending on where you live and the overnights are going to be you know closer to freezing or whatever you know you may want to add a little bit more cracked corn or something to an evening feed or something like that but um, by and large uh, there isn't a lot uh, that that you need to do uh, i will go back and say and i i talked to somebody about this earlier today uh, even our own flock here we really do absolutely nothing for them nada nothing no supplements in the water and uh, i was out earlier uh this morning uh with Tammy looking at we've got a, a a rooster that was born here like i need another one and um he was um he's being acclimated to the flock and uh the, the way uh, we we do that is um uh, uh, he's been out in the gazebo out there uh, for a while and um but just growing his brains out because he wants to get out and, and be with the rest of the roosters and, and get his place. And uh, so we just stand there for a while, watch him, and, and, and uh, you know, watch the other roosters um, as he starts to uh, get his hackle feathers up and things of that nature. Uh, you know, they run him off. But we don't do anything for him. Give him plenty of space, uh, a good, clean place to, to sleep at night up on roost, um, uh, plenty of fresh air, and... Um, plenty of, of, of clean water and, and feed, and I truly believe this, space. Because when, when people use the traditional thing of so many birds a square foot, okay, that's usually an indicator that we're trying to see how many birds we can cram into as small a spot as possible, and therein generally lies, lies the problem. Almost everybody that I have dealt with over the years uh, that has had some you know, real uh, problems within a flock uh, end up having way more chickens for the space that they have and the conditions that the birds are able to be kept under. Um, all you have to do is go on Facebook and look at some of the uh, the uh, makeshift things that people are keeping chickens and stuff in, and it's uh, it'll get your attention real quick. But we don't do anything, and, and they're out there sunning themselves. I, I think it's, it's unique when you have so many roosters like we do, probably uh, a dozen or so out of 18 birds, and, um, you know, there are two of them laying side by side, sunning themselves in the sun uh, and you know they're they're just happy to be out there and i think keeping that stress level down keeps you uh, i don't think it i know it keeping the stress level down keeps them from having problems and we've talked about this before when you get birds that are uh, um, that are under stress constantly under that breeding pressure that pressure to be the top dog and everything else what you end up having is uh, the they produce corticosteroids and those corticosteroids shut down the immune system. Now the bird becomes vulnerable because he's, he's on edge, trying to mate, trying to do this, trying to do that. And uh, so we've kind of taken a lot of that out of the way because if a bird doesn't feel secure, he's got plenty of place to get away from everybody else. And by and large, they don't chase each other. So um, I don't think I would do a whole lot uh, from, a, from that standpoint uh, other than maybe try to feed them a little bit more towards the evening uh, and make sure they all go to, to roost at night you know, with a full crop and uh, that'll put off more heat and keep everybody a little bit cozier than they would if they hadn't. And these cooler temperatures come along. Okay, good deal, good deal. As I'm putting myself on mute, so you don't have to hear me blow my nose because of the fall, <laughs> my fall sinuses. Uh, okay, let me scroll down here, and we'll go to the next question. Um, people have posted and folks you can follow us on Facebook you can just go to facebook.com forward slash the chicken whisperer all right here we go 
<clears throat> this is interesting. Um, my hen is laying eggs with seed-like things in the white part of the egg. They are brown and look like sunflower seeds that have been shelled. Not meat spots, as I read about them. We try to pick them out, but aren't sure what to do or what causes them. So, uh, in the white part of the egg, when she cracks it open, it looks like there's little uh, seed-like things in, in the white part. Just wants to know what those may be. That comes from Diane. Hmm. <clears throat> I don't know. <laughs> um, there's a number of things, I guess, that, that could come through there. I wonder, uh, you know, if we're not looking at a, uh, um, you know, at, at an actual meat spot. You know, they they can be quite large. Um, they can be hard as a rock. Um, I guess there's always a possibility that if there were a uh, some sort of shell abnormality from the previous egg that stuck to the uh, to the wall of the uh, uh, the oviduct, that that could be incorporated into the uh, to the egg. Be interesting if she were able to get them, you know, get them out and take a good look at them, see if they're hard, soft, or or whatever. Uh, if they're the size of a uh, sunflower seed, um, um, you know, in the shell that's pretty big. Without the shell, not so not so much. Um, but um, yeah, I've seen it before. Um, you know, where where worms uh, have actually come through come through the egg that that have you know made their way uh, up the oviduct and what have you. It happens from time to time. It's not something that uh, you know that you generally see every day, but it does it, it does and can happen. Um, I don't think she's mistaking the uh, this uh, material for the uh, the uh, chalaza or chalaza that is uh, the two shock absorbers that are in there. So I don't know. It's hard to say. It it could be um, for whatever reason. They, uh, I've seen some of this before where there was excess iron in the diet, um, and certain parts of the of the egg will pick up a little bit more iron than normal. Uh, it could be that. Um, really hard to say. You know, if, if the bird's doing it constantly, um, you know, uh, I, I would I would be interested in looking into that myself. That's a, that's an interesting thing. I'd want to see, you know, just what we're talking about, and try to pinpoint. Yeah, I think, uh, I probably purchased my first chickens and turkeys and ducks 25 years ago, and I've seen some things and some eggs that I couldn't identify, and tried to research, and said, well, okay. Uh, fry it up in a pan, tastes good. Um, and uh, <laughs> so, so, I mean, you know, there are there's there's some weird things uh, that that you'll see sometimes, and I guess some can be explained, some cannot. Uh, whenever we get egg questions, I think about Dr. Zimmerman uh, up at, um, at uh, Delaware State. He is an egg doctor, if you will. I mean, he you know, all these PhDs specialize in, in normally one or two things, and he is all about the egg. So uh, that, that may be a question for Dr. Dr. Zimmerman, an egg scientist. He might be able to have heard that question a million times. But yeah, there's been some weird things in, in eggs that I've cracked open. And uh, sometimes, you know, oh, maybe I'll scoop that out or maybe I won't. Or I'll just fry up and eat it. And um, so, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those weird things. Uh, you, and you hear a lot about that on, online. What is this? I found this in my egg. My, my whites are real runny or sometimes they're more... Out. You know, I, I, my chickens are in my backyard. I feed them this. They roam, and my egg yolks are still as yellow as store-bought yolks. You know, so uh, they're not the deep orange as some people have. So you hear a lot about the eggs, and 
and uh, very they, it's a hot. Yeah, well, I mean, they 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 are what they what they eat. I um, I just read an interesting study the other day um, where they were looking to, uh, and this has been ongoing research by various people all over the world. Um, and I forget where I even got the paper. I've got it around here somewhere in the office. But uh, the idea was to feed the birds curcumin and then see if they were able to uh, pick up the curcumin in the egg. And uh, they were able to demonstrate that they were able to, to prove that the curcumin was coming through to the egg. And that's an interesting thing. Look, from a health standpoint, um, you know, there's just, uh, you know, Gobs and gobs of, of, of research studies, uh, you know, showing the you know the, the benefits of uh, of curcumin for cancer and a number of other things, anti-inflammatory and so on and so forth. And uh, so I thought that was kind of interesting. The these uh, so-called designer eggs that that people think and uh, everybody trying to get it because an egg is an egg is an egg until you put something different in it and uh, make it different than the other guy's eggs. So. Um, you know, whether it's organic or whether it's uh, um, one that's bought from a, uh, a Walmart or a, or a whatever store, it doesn't matter. Um, you know, technically they're all the same. Uh, you know, the, uh, the there is a difference, no doubt, than a bird that's been, you know, out on pasture all day eating versus a store-bought egg. That, you know, the, the texture and the taste is totally different. Um, and uh, I, I do understand that the yolks can be uh, darker. Uh, in some cases, they're not. It just depends on how much uh, exanthophil they're picking up and what they're eating. So, uh, you know, the I want to share something with you, um, real quick. You, you were talking about um, uh, several times. We talk about uh, what folks say, and we often teach uh, about shipping chicks all all around the country. And you've got that 72-hour window from the time they hatch, you know, or right before they hatch. They absorb the yolk, um, and then that allows them to have 72 hours of, of nutrition, and that yolk can provide them with 72 hours of nutrition. And you make a light of and point out that, you know, with, with these big, massive hatchers, you may have one hatch out, and it may be several hours before all the others hatch out and are then placed in the same box, and then they're shipped. And here's one that by the time you get it, maybe start to have some, some stress because they hatched 10 or 12 hours before the others hatched because they were an early hatch or a first hatch. And you're all, and you're assuming that, oh, okay, I've got 72 hours for this whole batch. And uh, so, so you've made that uh, a shed light on that situation many a times. When I was at the expo, uh, I didn't have a chance. I wish I had more. I'm going to talk to them next year about, you know, say, hey, you know, why, why don't you schedule these chicken... Uh, information seminars at different times. So, okay, so they can attend mine, they can attend this other one, but when I'm talking and they're talking, you're going to split your, your ch- folks that need chicken education up. But I did have a chance to go over and talk, not talk, but sit in in a presentation done, done by uh, a, a doctor over at, uh, at Auburn, and he is with uh, Extension as well. And he was talking about, and mentioned, it was very interesting, I talked to him about it after, after his uh, seminar, about how the sooner you can get food and water to these chicks after they hatch, what happens is just fascinating. I was just sitting there and like, that's wow, so cool. Um, that they will then you they, they they can utilize that yolk for 
to battle illness and disease more than the nutrition part. So if all they have, if you're withholding food and water from them and they have to utilize all of that yolk for nutrition to stay alive, um, then um, versus you getting them food and water initially when they can actually utilize that yolk um, for a better immune system to fight off disease, to fight off... It reminded me so much of um, when Janet nursed both of our kids and when you have the baby and you first start nursing... Uh, I'm trying to think what the first part of the milk is called. I can't remember it off the tip of my tongue. Uh, all about um, uh, 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 health and fighting disease. And, anyway, so so it reminded me a lot about that, about how humans nurse their kids, and the first part of that nursing includes, and I just brought a blank of what the first that comes out to feed, feed your baby. But anyway, um, but, but it was just fascinating. I mean, it reminded me of about about when you talk about that and, oh, well, you know, this is an issue. Yes, that's true, but you may have one hatch and then several hours later another hatch and then now you've got some that are stressed by the time you get food to them. About how the sooner you can get food and water to them and they can utilize that yolk for other things that are, that are very important as far, as far as their immune system and fighting disease, then they're not having to utilize all of that just to stay alive. I thought it was fascinating information and I just, I just listening to this, it's just... I'm in awe of how the science behind it is just truly, truly amazing versus just, I've got some chickens in my backyard and here's some, here's some uh, feet. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, started out, I started out the show today by saying that about the little machine that you've got in your backyard. We don't often think yeah. about it that way. But, you know, um, he, he's exactly right. The smart research these days is showing that, uh, and companies are, are working very diligently towards doing this if they haven't already started uh, doing it, and that's called uniformity of hatch. So what they want is they want to be able to set a group of eggs and have the greatest majority of them hatch at the same time or in very close proximity to each other so that those birds can be pulled out of that hatch and get on a chick bus and get out to the farm as quickly as possible. Now, there is an incubator company, and I can't remember the name of it now. It doesn't really matter. Uh, They're in Europe. And they've developed a uh, a hatcher. So when you transfer around 18 days from the incubator to the hatcher, this hatcher has um, uh, food and water all set up. So it's the first bird out, right to food and water. Yep. Second bird out, right to food and water. Doesn't have to worry about that that yolk one bit. But yep. it's going right to food and water. So all of them, as soon as they're able to get around and they dried off, right to food and water, and then. After they're all done, then they take them all out to the farm. Guess what? They got they got the uh, a full crop. They've got they're hydrated. They've got uh, the yolk material. To, uh, what you were looking for probably, Andy, was maternal antibodies from the from the breast milk from the mother to from to to the offspring. And it's the same thing with them. The maternal antibodies. Anything that the mother's going to pass on to them health wise is going to be in that yolk. And if they have yep. to dispense all of that effort just to stay alive they are extremely yeah. vulnerable after that 72-hour period of time. So um, It was also information colostrum. That's what it okay. is. Okay. In the dairy business, they call it four milk, but colostrum is the word I was looking for. Thank you okay. to the folks in the chat room. Right. Th- same thing. In that colostrum are going to be those maternal antibodies that whatever uh, the, the mother had uh, been immunized to, uh, if there is any uh, immunity is going to be passed on on that way to to the to the children same thing with 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 chickens it's going to be passed on uh you know through through that through that yolk so 
the, the whole object of it is is uniformity of hatch. And one of the ways you control the uniformity of hatch is by setting like eggs with like eggs, small eggs with small eggs, big eggs with big eggs, medium eggs with medium eggs, so that they uniformly heat in an incubator. Whether they're in the, on the, in the same incubator is not the case, but as many of them in the same tray as possible. And at the same time, control the holding temperature and the humidity of, of those eggs prior to incubation so that the embryo is, is not continuing to grow because I don't think most people understand that, you know, we, they don't think of it. They say, oh, 21 days. No, it's really more like close to 22 days because it's already incubating. As soon as conception takes place inside of, 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 the, of, the, uh, of the hen, when, it, when an egg hatches out and is fertile, that embryo uh, has at least 50,000 cells already. Okay? And it will just continue to grow at whatever temperature. And that's why, you know, you bring the temperature down. Uh, most places like to see them down, you know, the, the, you know 68, 65 degrees. It slows that, that, that growth down, keeps everybody uniform. If you let eggs get warm above 70 degrees, the, the embryo starts to pick up speed and development and everything else. And that one, if it doesn't die because of, of the uh, ups and downs of the temperatures, depending on how weak the embryo is comparatively, okay, that embryo will probably hatch quicker than its uh, other hatchmates, and then you've got you know that ununiformity again. You've got this one here, who now has been kept at 70 degrees uh, or, or above, and is maybe four or five hours, in some cases more, uh, ahead of the others. And then you know you've got a chick that by the time he gets out to the farm is, is probably not going to do too well in the end. So it's, it is interesting. I've got a question about it. I've got to take a break. When we come back, the question is going to be very vague, but uh, you often talk about being poop inspectors. Um, my chickens have diarrhea. Why is that? And again, very, very vague and not a lot of any other information. But when we come back from break, you can touch on the importance of being a poop inspector and uh, maybe something else to look for. If they just have diarrhea, well, maybe, maybe not an issue depending on, again, we talked about in the summer, drinking more water. They're going to have more watery poo. So we talk about these things, but uh, uh, I don't think we can do a chicken show without the importance of talking about being a poop inspector. And so that's what we'll talk about when we return from the next uh, commercial break. Stay with us. There's more to come with Ask the Chicken Doctor with Peter Brown. Are you in the market for a new chicken coop? Want one that will outlast all the others? Then check out Urban Coop Company. All of their coops are made from 100% appearance-grade western red cedar with galvanized hardware and advanced all-weather joinery right here in the USA. Compared to other coops, Urban Coop Company coops will last longer and look better doing it. They're designed to be both beautiful and functional. In fact, they have earned the Chicken Whisperer seal of approval and are Chicken Whisperer approved. I invite you to browse their website to learn more about the many features of their coops and check out their integrated coop accessories that will make your life easier. Urban Coop Company is a family-owned business located in Dripping Springs, Texas, USA. They are passionate about building great coops because they know you are passionate about your backyard chickens. Visit them online at urbancoopcompany.com. That's UrbanCoopCompany.com. Give the 
you provide a heat source for your backyard chickens in the winter? In most cases, it's not necessary. But if you choose to provide a heat source for your backyard chickens, it's imperative to use a safe and effective heat source, and the only one I recommend is the Sweeter Heater. The Sweeter Heater is a safe, completely sealed, washable, non-breakable, energy-efficient, long-lasting and reliable specific area heater that comes with a three-year warranty. Ditch the dangerous heat lamp this season and invest in the only heater I recommend, the Sweeter Heater. Purchase the Sweeter Heater online at SweeterHeater.com. That's SweeterHeater.com. Ideal Poultry has been a family-owned and operated business since 1937. Their business is built on customer service and quality poultry. From rare white and brown egg layers to broilers, ducks, turkeys, and bantams, Ideal Poultry is the largest supplier of backyard poultry in the United States, shipping close to 5 million chicks annually. Visit them online at IdealPoultry.com. That's IdealPoultry.com. Hey, it's the Chicken Whisperer. If you're in the market for a new incubator, then look no further than GQF. They have a great selection of tabletop and cabinet-style incubators at prices you can afford. I love my GQF Genesis Model 1588. It has a large picture window and an automatic thermostat, which makes for a better hatch every time. Go pick out your new incubator at GQFRadio.com. That's GQFRadio.com. Hey, it's the Chicken Whisperer, here to tell you that if you have backyard poultry, nothing is more important than making sure your feathered friends are safe from infectious poultry diseases. Learn the simple steps to keep your birds healthy by visiting this website, healthybirds.aphis.usda.gov. That's healthybirds.aphis.usda.gov. A message from the USDA. How would you like a punch in the beak? This looks like a job for... Super Chicken? You get the super sauce, I'll don my super suit. Alrighty, thank you very much for staying with us today on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. It is Monday, which of course means we've got Peter Brown, also known as the Chicken Doctor, founder of First State vetsupply.com. Visit them online. Check out a store, firststatevetsupply.com. We often say if they don't have it, guess what? You don't need it. So uh, uh, home of the emergency medicine kit, $24.95, and something you need to have right there along with your first aid kit. How many times, Peter, have we heard people say, well, you know, we really recommend or you need to have this and you got a sick bird, let's do this. Uh, what do you have to treat? And the answer is nothing. And now they've got to wait a few more days uh, for the illness to get worse or probably lose that bird versus having it on hand um, to start treatment. So let's talk about diarrhea and being a poop inspector and and get your two cents worth on that of the importance of being a poop inspector and uh, uh, how you may have some more watery poop in the summer versus the winter because your intake of water is going to be more in the summer, but also the different colors you might want to be aware of and maybe another symptom or two that might really key us in on, okay, I not only have uh, um, runny chicken poop, but I've also got this this symptom or I've got this color in the poop. So uh, let's, uh, let's, let's hear from you, my friend. Yeah, 
Well, you know, diarrhea can be caused by a, a number of things. Uh, some of them uh, pathogenic, some not. Um, uh, if you're feeding a diet to your birds uh, with a lot of uh, treats, um, those types of things can cause the bird to uh, to have uh, you know diarrhea, um, excessive uh, intake of wheat, uh, barley. Uh, there there are things there in in those that are that are um, uh, hard for them to uh, to digest, and so it ends up uh, in a uh, a watery loose uh, dropping. So uh, if you're feeding an abundance of scratch, um, knock it off. Um, it's probably not helping. Uh, it's certainly not good for them overall nutritionally. As a occasional handful may be thrown on the ground for a large group of chickens to let them uh, get some exercise or whatever your point is of using it. Um, you know, you can go ahead and, and do something like that. But excessive uh, feeding of that will cause this dropping. It's uh, it's got a lot of water in it, and um, um, it's got a lot of white in it at the same time. The white being the the urine part of the of the dropping. Um, obviously, if you've got um, uh, some uh, pinkish material, I don't mean bloody, but pinkish material from time to time, that's a sloughing off of, uh, in, in most cases, not all, but most cases, uh, a natural sloughing off of the intestinal lining uh, uh, that has to be replaced uh, every now and then. And so you might see some of that. Um, blood in the droppings generally a good indication of, of uh, problems with uh, coccidiosis. Um, coccidiosis, uh, you know, one of the uh, primary symptoms is lethargy in the bird. They become very lethargic, stand around, uh, droopy wing, falling asleep, standing up, eyes closed, standing on one leg, uh, acting chilled, puffed up, um, sitting in the corner of the coop, not wanting to come out when everybody else is out, maybe still sitting on the roost. Uh, birds at night that don't want to go to the roost sometimes that have coccidiosis, that's maybe one of the first things you'll notice. And then the first thing when you come out in the morning, there they are sitting on the floor, uh, all puffed up or, or whatever, sleeping and constantly sleeping. So that uh, that's an indication that, uh, you know, that you probably have something going on with coccidiosis. You do not have to have blood in the droppings to have coccidiosis. Not all species of coccidia uh, cause bleeding, so don't be fooled by that. Uh, if you have a bird that's very lethargic uh, and you find no other symptoms on the bird, you pick it up, you look at it, you can't find any mites, uh, you don't see anything in the ears, you don't see anything in the mouth, it's not sneezing, coughing, choking, or any of those other things, no snotty nose, no swollen face, no runny eyes, uh, the only place left is the gut. And I would treat it for coccidiosis uh, based on, on that. And you will see some, obviously, diarrhea with that. That has a tendency to be more brownish uh, and loose. Um, uh, some of the other things that can cause uh, loose droppings, uh, overconsumption of water uh, on warm days. Um, uh, we see a lot of that in the summertime where birds will back away from their food um, and they'll just uh, overconsume uh, water, which is going to give them a real loose dropping. But if you're seeing, I'm getting the impression, or maybe I'm putting into this uh, question, uh, that this, this might be more of an ongoing thing. Um, so then we have to start looking at uh, a lot of different things. Uh, are we feeding a lot of cat food, uh, whether it be uh, the wet type of cat food or the dry type of cat food uh, or dog food? They're all high in salt. Salt's an enemy to chickens uh, to a great degree. They need it, but they don't need anywhere near uh, what humans do. 
And uh, so overconsumption of salt uh, will throw them into a diarrhea-type mode. Um, so you need to you know, evaluate what you're feeding there. Uh, maybe you've got water that's got a higher salt content in it, um, and uh, you know that may be part of it. But it would be more than, more than one bird. If it's, it's down to one bird, it's, it's an individual bird problem. Uh, it's more than likely gut-related, and, and you have to try to figure out you know, just what's, uh, what's doing it. If you're looking to, um, let's assume that it's not coccidiosis, but possibly some other bacterial infection, which could also cause what we call diuresis, which is the, the uh, uh, constant uh, uh, flow of water through, the, through diarrhea, um, you might look at using some oil of oregano. We've been extremely... Uh, pleased with this product, uh, more and more people getting on the bandwagon using it. Uh, I just had a fellow call me this morning, and uh, we had a discussion about uh, the health of his birds, uh, respiratory issues, and so on and so forth, and that uh, he did a little experiment of his own, uh, had some birds that over the years have had respiratory issues when the weather changes. He's in an area, uh, for instance, uh, when he came out this morning, he had some uh, uh, some frozen waterers already this year, so that's that's pretty early. But they were they were they were frozen, not solid solid, but enough to, to have to be dumped out. And um, he was stating a fact that the, these uh, he's got three groups of bird, two birds, two of them are on the oil of oregano, and have absolutely no problems, and the other one is starting to show some respiratory issues. So we had a little bit of a discussion about it, and. Here, here's the, the school of, of thought on this, and it's, uh, it's all documented in the scientific fact. 60% uh, plus of the bird's immune cells lie within the intestinal tract. It's called gut-associated lymphoid tissue. So if you have this uh, diarrhea problem, you've got a problem in the gut, so you have an impaired immune system right off the bat. The mode of action, basically, of the uh, uh, oil of oregano is to... Uh, speed up the sloughing off of the intestinal tract, which makes it tougher for the bad guys to set up shop. doesn't mean they can't, and doesn't mean it's a cure-all, but it's an all-natural product that seems to be uh, doing an extremely good job. Uh, I've got my, uh, my turkey uh, fellow over here now. He's on it three years, three years, not one case of blackhead, and having more turkeys now to sell than he's ever had, and no health problems at all. So um, doing very, very well. Uh, in, in, in that respect. Now, this fellow here, uh, he just ordered more of the oil of oregano today because he wants to put this third group on it now. But going back to the immunity part of it, that oil of oregano is protecting that gut-associated lymphoid tissue, what we call GALT, and making that immune system available should a pathogen come along. Will it stop everything? Nope. I don't believe in anything that stops everything. When you have something that stops everything, let me know because I want some of it. But this stuff is doing a real, real good job. This is not your regular oil oregano that you can buy in a store, okay, or any health food store. Uh, well, this is an oil of oregano. It is high, high has been chosen, this particular uh, uh, strain, for a uh, variety, rather, uh, for its high degree of uh, Cravacol, which is the active ingredient in the oil of oregano. So it's not your just everyday garden variety stuff, stuff that you would be cooking with and that, that your mother put in the, in the pasta sauce and that kind of stuff. This is different. Uh, it's extremely powerful, uh, and it goes into solution. This looks like skim milk, okay? And um, 
uh, we're using in his operation 40 ounces to a thousand gallons of water. That's what we're doing there, and it's and, and he uses it day in day out, and it's not had any problems. All these other people are using it every day as well. I got another fellow uh, just over the weekend out in the state of Washington. He's been on it for a while. He just doubled his order of it because he's seen the improvement in his birds. Better health, better feathering, less problems with coccidiosis. So uh, there are other things that can cause uh, this this problem. So the idea of keeping the gut healthy keeps a a healthy bird. That was the uh, whole crux of what I was trying to get at there. this may be another tool in the toolbox. Another thing I'm pointing to is I've said it before on this show many, many times that we will lose the antibiotics that we currently have access to in the future. Well, the future is here, folks. Uh, three weeks ago, Thailand Water Soluble went prescription only. So when the current supply is sold out and with the uh, directions on it for chickens and turkeys and everything else, it's going to go to a label that says prescription only. Obviously, the price is already high now. It's going to go higher. Uh, Gallomycin powder after the first of the year, same scenario. Okay? So what I've been predicting and saying all along is coming true. Those are two of the most important respiratory drugs that we use in chickens, especially the backyard chickens. So both of them are going prescription only. Uh, Well, one already is. One's going after the first of the year be much more difficult to get and at much higher price um, so you know an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure that's what the old saying is um, this is another uh, uh, tool that you can put in the toolbox as oil of oregano uh, not trying to make it a commercial for it it is fact it is documented um, I just wrote an article for the chicken whisperer magazine that uh, outlines the uh, the ins and outs of the whole thing and, and this uh, uh, journey that we've been on with this uh, uh, turkey producer, and uh, it's uh, you can get it online. Uh, Andy can probably tell you where to get it, uh, but you can get it online with the uh, electronic edition free. Worth its uh, the whole magazine worth its weight in gold. Real good stuff, stuff that you're not going to get in in the uh, uh, in, you know in the in the blogs and all the other stuff. This is really something that's top shelf, <clears throat> but. Uh, so getting back to the droppings, uh, worms can cause it. So you need to look at uh, at the droppings and see if there are any worms in it. Uh, round worms are going to look like spaghetti. Um, uh, tapeworms are going to look like they're flat and serrated. Uh, small ones will look like little pieces of rice and, and the droppings. So any one of those things can be, be ca- uh, causing it, and, and you need to get to the bottom of it by becoming that poop inspector that we always talk about here. It's a fun phrase to use, but it is so much the truth. Uh, and is a valuable tool uh, to to use to help yourself keep your your flock healthy. Okay, we're going to wrap up the show with uh, this last question. And uh, interesting, Beth, uh, Beth Bowen wants to know, what treatment may be used on chickens to get rid of fleas and lice? What is the best one, and is there a withdrawal period for eggs? Please do not just say take them to a vet and leave it at that. <laughs> no, I, I would uh, highly suggest um, <clears throat> the newest, um, I would suggest two products, one certainly being cheaper than the other, but um, when you look at uh, insecticidal programs, um, nobody ever reads the label other than the fact of uh, how you mix it. But every insecticide that you'll buy uh, in the inside of the label 
somewhere it will tell you that this is to be used or should be used in part of a rotational program. You should never uh, you know, take one product and home in on it because it's working and, uh, and work it to death because eventually uh, it will um, you know, stop working. So um, the first product that would come to mind would be 10% permethrin. Mix it up according to the directions uh, that come with the product. Uh, if you buy it from me, we can uh, give you specific directions uh, other than what's on the, on the label, but they're, they're, they should be one and the same for the most part. Um, but at any rate, um, it's a terrific product uh, from that standpoint. Uh, there is some resistance around uh, to it. It's been around for, for a long time, uh, but it is an effective product. You can spray it. And um, when we talk about getting these thing, types of things under control, uh, lice and fleas and, and mites and that kind of thing, it's a, it's a thing where you need to do the bird and the coop all at the same time. Because if you don't, you're wasting your time. And uh, all you'll get is a short period of, of relief, uh, and they'll come right back and, and uh, be all over the place again. Um, and uh, it, it also depends on the... Uh, uh, level of infection that you have, uh, you know, how bad the infestation is. So that's the first one. The second one should be part of this rotational program, and it is a higher, much higher dollar item. Uh, the uh, I think we sell the 10% permethrin for I think 27.50 for a quart. Okay. The next one is called Elector. That's E-L-E-C-T-O-R. It is the newest product on the market for this use. And one of the unique things about this particular product is that all of your resistance to uh, the products that are presently being used uh, for uh, poultry and other species is that they are all resistant at the same receptor sites on the insect that you're trying to kill. So that makes it easier for the products that all work at the same site to become resistant. So that's one of the reasons why the resistance builds quicker, because they're all working in the same spot. The elector works in two different spots. So the chances of it becoming uh, resistant uh, as quickly as some of these others uh, are lessened dramatically. Uh, the only problem I see with elector uh, is the fact that it is uh, expensive. Uh, right now, an 8-ounce bottle... Uh, and you can shop around. Some people got it for a few dollars less, but it's it's about one twenty four ninety five. But it is the newest thing on the market. You'll know it um, if you take your dog to the uh, the vet and he gives you Comfortis. Uh, the active ingredient in Comfortis is the same active ingredient as in Elector, and that's Spinosad, S-P-I-N-O-S-A-D. And it is um, very... Uh, uh, a very good product to use on chickens can be used uh, with the chickens present. They don't need to be removed to be spraying it around. Obviously, you don't want to get in their feed and water. Uh, but as far as the bird is concerned, uh, it's uh, there are no real restrictions for yourself. Um, obviously, you got to follow the label directions, and there is no withdrawal time. Uh, with either product for using it on, on chickens, whether it be the permethrin or the, or the elector. Uh, the elector has got a very wide uh, margin of safety and uh, has a, uh, uh, to my knowledge at this moment, I don't know if there is, I have not heard uh, of any resistance, uh, and I would suspect it uh, uh, 
having much resistance because of the fact that it works at two different sites uh, than the normal uh, insecticides that have been around for a long time, the front lines, the, the uh, permethrins, the malathions, and so on. <coughs> so uh, that's the way I, I would approach it. Okay. Well, very good. Another uh, going to wrap up another episode. Of course, we had open mic and uh, took a lot of questions from our Facebook page or many more. And and uh, remind folks that if uh, your question you answered was uh, actually on the air, then we of course liked it as the instruction stated. So several people come back and listen to the archive and and uh, get their uh, questions answered. So uh, Peter Brown, thank you very much for joining us this Monday. You join us every single Monday. Uh, Ask the Chicken Doctor with Peter Brown. I think next Monday we'll probably have a topic uh, of discussion um, that, we'll, of course, we'll let Peter pick uh, based on a lot of times what he sees out there in, uh, in backyard poultry land that's going on, what kind of calls he gets and any type of uh, trends or any type of um, uh, things that are going on uh, a lot of right now. So, uh, Peter, thanks for joining us. We hope you have a wonderful week, and uh, we'll see you back here uh, in a week next Monday. Looking forward to it. Thanks, Andy. Appreciate it. Great. Thank you very much. That's uh, Peter Brown, founder of FirstStateVetSupply.com, and of course, the, also known as the Chicken Doctor. Um, visit the site, folks. Um, you know, I'm sure you'll find something there that you could absolutely need uh, and use, and that's FirstStateVetSupply.com. And of course, Peter joins us every single Monday that we broadcast. So uh, uh, we thank him for that. Um, we will return this coming Wednesday uh, and Thursday. In fact, let's see, is this is the fifth Thursday and Wednesday. One, two, three, four, five. Yeah, so I'm going to get to work. We normally do not schedule any shows on the fifth uh, of anything. So if it's the fifth Tuesday, fifth Wednesday, fifth Thursday, fifth Friday, that type of thing, and it looks, well, it looks like we have the fifth Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. So I'll get on the horn and see what I can do regarding shows for later this week. You can follow us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash The Chicken Whisper. And you can head over there and like us and, uh, or I guess uh, become a fan on Facebook, like us or whatever on Twitter. <laughs> head over to Twitter. It is at, of course, which is the at sign, Backyard Poultry over on Twitter. Facebook is facebook.com forward slash The Chicken Whisperer. And, of course, uh, you can, uh, the easiest thing to remember is just chickenwhisperer.com. From there, you can follow us on Twitter, become a fan on Facebook. You can uh, purchase, of course, the book that was co-authored by poultry scientist and professor Dr. McRae, and you can get and subscribe to the free digital edition of Chicken Whisperer magazine. Peter was just talking about that. He has an article about the oil of oregano in that. You can read it for free. Free. Yeah, so people who say, blah, 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 um, free. We want you to get the right information out there. Like I've said several times, if you want to read about chickens wearing clothes, there is a magazine for you, and it ain't mine. If you want to read fact-based, science-based, study-based information about the health of your chickens uh, from reliable contributors, then, hey, Chicken Whisperer magazine may be for you, and you can get it for free. And get better for that. What, what are people going to say? Oh, you're just trying to make free, okay? <laughs> uh, so you can go to Chicken Whisperer magazine dot com is also a magazine we can read all of the, all the editions that are out the spring the summer and the fall all out uh, the winter will be coming out here very shortly so uh, hey thanks for tuning in we appreciate it we'll see you later this week and uh, this uh, and I'll just I'll post on Facebook who we're going to have later this week since it is a, a whole week full of fifth 
days <laughs> in this month. So, uh, hey, have a good one. Thanks for tuning in. God bless everybody. <laughs> Ha, ha, ha.